live from Studio 67 in Florida's Capital County. It's time to be fackish. Access granted. Good people, welcome to the end of week four. Seems like week 40. Seems like we've been doing this for a full year. This week was intense. Um, but let's go ahead and get right into it. I think there's a lot to report on. So let's start with the roll call. And the question of the day as submitted by Jeff. I need to know, the people need to know, what is your favorite sports team? So Jeff, let's go for it. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Davin. Jeff Scala, handle in energy, environment, water, technology, and rural issues. Uh, this is a tough one. Uh, it might not be the champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Tampa Bay Lightning, but my favorite team is the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh-huh, look at that. He's got paraphernalia. Like the little bill. That's pretty good. Eddie, how you doing? How you doing, Davin? Eddie Labrador, Senior Legislative Council. Um, good afternoon, everybody. And uh, my favorite sports team is the New York Yankees. Ah, yes. Yeah, I expected that. Sarah Henley, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you, Sarah Henley, policy analyst. And as a Gator, I'm a lover of all Gator sports. But I'm also a huge hockey fan, so go Bolts, Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley Cup Championship. All right, all right. All right, we're going to make Bob wait. Tonette, how you doing? Greetings and good afternoon, good folks. It's Tonette Graham, your favorite COVID girl, all things health, safety, and justice. And my favorite sports team is none other than the FAMU Rattlers. All right, I can do with that. FAMU class of 97. Now, we're not going to ask, like, when did you graduate till now? So, Bob, bringing up the rear, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing great. Bob McKee, Deputy Director of Public Policy, handling all things with a dollar sign. My favorite sports team, since I was a little, little kid, way before they were on TBS, is the Atlanta Braves. And I have to say... They have won one World Series in my lifetime, and I was there in the stadium, game six, 1995. I have pictures to prove it. Yeah, I thought you those tickets were scalped, weren't they? No, they were not. I was on the phone for two hours, but people forget it was a strike season, so there are a bunch of people that canceled their season tickets. All right. Sarah, have you ever purchased anything over the phone? No. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> All right, folks, I'm Davin Suggs, and people think my favorite team is the Green Bay Packers, you know, professional sports team. I'm from Wisconsin, but currently, because I'm a softball dad, my favorite team is any softball team that Dylan is playing on. So, and shout out, they had a good week, and they beat Lincoln High School last night. So, awesome. All Go right. Pickle! That's right, Pickle. Dale Pickle. That's my daughter's name. So, number 19, in your heart and on your mind. All right, let's get right into it. Like I said, there was a lot that happened this week. So, you know, the segment where we run it on down. Um, let me see who I want to start with. Let's go back to the top. And Jeff, I just want to let you know something here. It's about to go down. Well, it was a busy week for environmental bills this week. Uh, first, 
the PFAS bill got its first committee hearing after getting a large rewrite in a strike all amendment. That's Senate Bill 1054 by Senator Broxson. Uh, that one cleared its first committee stop and will was amended to uh, require DEP to adopt statewide rules for cleanup targets for PFAS. And it creates li liability limitations until DEP ratifies those rules. Um, it also directs OPAGA to study PFAS programs in other states uh, to give more guidance to the legislature. Um, other bills, House Bill 919, the Energy Utilities Preemption, cleared its second hurdle in the House. Um, that is a uh, preemption of the utility uh, services. It prevents, uh, it preempts counties from banning uh, types of fuel like natural gas. Um, over in tech, we have the Broadband Industry Incentives Bill was heard, House Bill 1239. Last week, the REC estimated the recurring impact at $92.4 million on a recurring basis. This bill uh, does not include any direct tie to delivering broadband to underserved or unserved areas and really just serves as a handout to the telecoms. Um, and more on the environment and water later on Resilient Florida. All right. Thank you, Jeff. That's pretty good. Your timing is pretty good. You're right in mid-season stride here. You should serve as a glowing example to everybody else. And we're going to test that right now. Hey, Eddie. You know what time it is, Eddie? Oh, yeah. It's about to go down. Okay. Uh, well, this week was also a very um, involved week for community and urban affairs issues, elections, uh, and ethics, um, and uh, trans even transportation. But. Uh, let me just uh, mention a few bills uh, that uh, people should be aware of. First of all, uh, property rights legislation is uh, continuing to move in the Senate. Uh, on Monday, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, approved favorably uh, Senate Bill 1876 by Senator Albritton. Uh, that bill modifies uh, certain sections of the Burt Harris Private Property Rights Protection Act, uh, and uh, it even includes some portions uh, of some provisions from Senate Bill 1380 by, by Senator Rodriguez. Uh, the bill was approved seven to four as a committee substitute and is now headed to Community Affairs uh, on Tuesday, March 30th. Um, we also saw the Senate Growth Management Bill uh, by Senator Perry. This is uh, committee substitute for committee substitute for Senate Bill 496. It is the companion to uh, House Bill 59 by Representative McLean. That was also heard by the, in its final committee, the Senate Rules Committee, and um, approved uh, on a, um, well, it was approved, and, and now it heads to the Senate floor. Now, House Bill 59 is on the special order calendar for March 31st, uh, which is next Wednesday. Um, 
next bill that I want to point out has to do with um, the port preemption bill. This is the uh, bill that uh, uh, Senator Boyd has. It's uh, Committee Substitute for Senate Bill 426. That bill uh, was heard in the Community Affairs Committee. It was amended uh, to add, um, to actually separate out and clarify certain provisions within the bill. It still has the, uh, you can't have an initiative or referendum uh, that um, impacts or, or seeks to regulate uh, commerce entering the seaports of the state. Um, and uh, it also uh, prohibits municipal governments from enacting any kind of regulations that affect commerce in our, in our ports. Um, it was, uh, like I said, it was amended to, to make some clarifications uh, in those provisions, and it was approved on a five to three vote, and it now heads to its final committee, the Senate Rules. Uh, the last bill that I want to mention is the construction permitting bill. This is uh, Committee Substitute for House Bill 1059 by Representative Robinson. This bill was approved 21 to zero as a committee substitute. It does various things, including requiring posting of uh, construction permit applications uh, and including any attachments like drawings, payments, and so forth. It requires posting of those uh, of applications. It requires uh, posting of statuses regarding applications that have been submitted to local enforcement agencies. And, um, and it actually provides for penalties if permits for single family residences are not issued within the prescribed time limits uh, that are in current law. And that bill, again, was approved and it is now scheduled uh, on the special order calendar for March 31st, next Wednesday. That's it for me. Hey, all right, Eddie. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> Eddie, I give you a pass because you like the Godfather and the Yankees. So you can talk as much as you want. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tonette, just let me give you a hint here. It's about to go down. Busy week for COVID this week. COVID-19 fraud safeguard bill is ready for the Senate floor. This is the committee substitute HB9, protecting consumers against pandemic-related fraud by Representative Zika. <clears throat> it is already passed in the House, but it was up in rules on yesterday. And after much debate, Senator Bean, who is the sponsor of the Senate companion, um, decided to take up the House version and it is slated to hit the Senate floor next week. Another COVID bill that is up, Senate Bill 72, which is the civil liability for damages related to COVID by Senator Brandis, passed on the House floor. Um, 
on Friday. Well, it should. It's up right now. But the way the votes are aligning and happening in committee, it should pass later this afternoon. Remember, this is a combination of the former Senate Bill 74 and 72, providing protections extended to all persons, businesses, and entities, including health care providers who acted in good faith during this pandemic. And last but not least, HB1. excuse me, the anti-rioting bill. The representatives in the House are currently debating this bill. They have been in debate for probably the last two hours now, but it is likely to pass the way the conversations are going and the, the vote should align. It'll be a party line vote, but it will probably pass. Remember, this is a bill that defines crimes related to rioting and enhancing penalties for aggravated rioting that include but aren't limited to the acts of assault, battery, mob intimidation, destroying a memorial or historic property, and cyber intimidation. The Senate companion, Senate Bill 484, has yet um, to be heard, and it's not an appetite for this on the Senate side right now. So it'll be interesting to see how things pan out after this afternoon. That's it for me. Hey, thank you, Tonette. No, a lot of this stuff, you bring up a good point. <clears throat> we're in that part of session where it's about to get real, and we're going to see, you know, everybody's kumbaya in the beginning. But now everybody's got a good idea. We'll see how that's being evaluated. All right. Bob, the Braves, who's your favorite Brave ever? That's a tough one, but I got to go with Phil Necro. He passed last December. He threw that knuckleball. He won 300-plus games. He uh, not only would win 20 games in a season, he'd lose 20 games in a season. And a lot of people point to uh, Steve Carlton as having the greatest season ever when he won 27 games for a Philly team that only won 56. But for, I think, a four-year period of time, um, four-year period of time, Phil Necro won 25% of the games that the Braves won. So he was a winner and a loser. Yeah, he like. was a, well, he would pitch. He pitched 300 innings a season at least. He but you multiple said he, times he would the win 20 and lose 20. Does that resemble your lobbying style? Like, will you win on 20 bills and lose on 20 bills? It was all a factor of the team that he had behind him. No, um, oh, so you're saying that if you lose, it's because with a, with of a us. good team, you don't win as much. You don't you you don't lose as much. Okay, hey, right, Bob, Bob, just it's about to go down. All right, finance and tax this week. Uh, other than the one big thing I'll talk about later, the big bill that was up was Senate Bill 750 on impact fees. It was up in Senate Community Affairs. The committee adopted a strike all amendment that matched the bill up with the House language. Um, the bill is still problematic in that it still has caps in it, even though there's a bypass around the caps. Um, it has uh, language that restricts back what can be purchased with impact fees. And it's got some broad open um, credit language that appears to say any public facility that's donated by the developer, we have to provide an impact fee credit for, even if it's not a like impact fee to the infrastructure provided. Um, we did receive uh, commitments from the sponsor, Senator Gruders, both in private and in public, that he would work on the definitions and he would work on the credit language. And we got that same commitment from the uh, home builders. Um, the bill did pass five to three and the chair Senator Jennifer Bradley did vote against the bill. 
the other bill I want to outline for you in this section is House Bill 1429, dealing with tourist and convention development taxes. The bill was up in the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, it was significantly amended to take out uh, what was previous in the bill, a requirement that all TDTs would sunset and have to be reauthorized every five years with a referendum. Um, it did leave the referendum requirement in the bill for any new or reauthorized um, tourist development pennies. For most counties, there's not an expiration date in their current um, tourist development tax um, levies. But um, if you do, the, it would require a referendum to go back. And then there's still some language that appears to require a referendum if the third penny is um, bonded. So it seems to require a referendum for bonding the third penny, which still may affect some people um, in today's situation. We pointed that out in the committee. And um, but the bill did pass out of the committee um, and is scheduled to be heard next week. All right. And you're going to win on these bills based on the quality of your team. So we will duly, absolutely duly note it. We will all get to work for Bob. With. Oh, with with Bob. All right. We're going to jump right into the one big thing, because you know why the people have been waiting all week to hear um, from Sarah. Because, you know, this is Sarah. She always kicks this off. So, Sarah, it's time to hear your one big thing. This is my time to shine. So very important topic up this week. If you came to Legible last week, it was a homework assignment by Davin. We had a couple of bills up this year, placing restrictions on counties from extending emergency orders and even the governor and legislature having the power to invalidate said orders. This is very important issue for local governments that has the potential to have some major consequences in the future when dealing with emergencies specific to your community, whether they be pandemics, hurricanes, oil spills, civil unrest, etc. So when the pandemic first began in March and we knew very little, little about COVID-19, local governments were on the front lines. They were the ones who stepped up in creating guidelines in their areas to keep their residents safe and some of those things included mass mandates travel restrictions remote meetings social distancing guidelines curfews and to put this in a little more perspective by march 20th of last year all counties had local state of emergencies in effect today not all counties have those still in effect and that's okay but a specific example is miami-dade county over a year later has extended its emergency order 55 times so every five days and miami-dade has made that decision to keep those orders in place as it's necessary to keep their residents in place. They have curfews going on right now because a large amount of people are coming down for spring break. So FAC is working closely on these bills and Tonette is next going to go in depth on the legislation that we're watching this year. All right, Sarah. And today you guys can't see this, but they're the blue light sisters. Both of them have on their blue lights and they're ready to go. So. I'm just going to hit the button so people can hear Tonette's one big thing. I mean, girls run the world. We have to stick together. 
thank you, Sarah, for laying the foundation. My one big thing is none other than Senate Bill 1924, the limitations on emergency powers of political subdivisions. This bill is sponsored by Miami-Dade Senator, Senator Miami, um, Manny Diaz, and it was heard in its first committee the Senate Community Affairs, this bill requires emergency measures issued by a political subdivision be narrowly tailored, compelling public safety or public health emergencies, and it specifies a lot of other requirements for local emergency measures. Um, just got a notification from Lobby Tools that it will be up in its next committee of reference next week on Tuesday in the Military and Veteran Affairs committee at 12 30 so members we've got another homework assignment for you um we we need to just soften this bill up a little bit there's work to be done we have the opportunity to meet with the sponsor this week but we still need your assistance so please check out our legible reach out to the sponsor senator diaz call your respective senators and help us soften and tone this bill down before it gets to the senate floor thank you all right on that and this is very important I see um, Eddie has his pen in his hand, and I know he's getting ready to do his one big thing, which maybe this week will just be one thing. But Eddie, master amendment drafter, is going to be helping Tonette and the crew go soften this bill up. So with that, Eddie, I'm just going to bring you up right now, because I am very, because you talked about a lot of stuff already. But again, Yankees, Godfather, you can talk as much as you want. So Eddie, the people want to hear you are. One big thing. Okay, well, thanks, Davin. And I just want to go back and talk a little bit more about the construction permitting bill um, that I mentioned previously. Uh, this is, uh, like I said before, committee substitute for House Bill 1059 uh, by Representative Robinson. Um, basically, the bill starts off by uh, under current law you have a, when you're reviewing an application for a building uh, for a building permit uh, you can request additional information up to three times current law does not set a time frame for those unless they're set locally um, but this bill would set a time frame for getting uh, that information and reviewing that information uh, to in ensure that the applications are complete and taking actions within the prescribed timeframes. Uh, if it's the first uh, request for additional information, then you have 30 days after you receive it to act upon it uh, and um, uh, issue the permit. Uh, if the if you review the information and it's still not complete, then uh, you have uh, to make the request for the information within 10, uh, 10 days. And uh, upon receipt of the information, you have 10 days in which to review it, determine whether the application is now complete or if there are still uh, deficiencies and then send out your third request. Uh, once, if you make a third request, then the application, once you receive that information, the application must be, must be deemed complete and you must proceed to either approve or deny the permit uh, based on the, the information that you have, uh, or you can uh, work things out with the 
applicant and uh, extend that time frame. The bill clarifies that local, informant, uh, local infor enforcement agencies um, are required to post each type of building permit application on their website, including a list of all required attachments, drawings, and other requirements that are uh, required for each type of application. Uh, the agencies must post the status of any building permit applications that are received online and update the status of the applications unless the permit has already been issued. Um, you uh, are required uh, to um, allow building permit applicants to submit their applications electronically, including uh, any attachments or drawings that are required to go with the application. Uh, and uh, you must post your procedures for processing, reviewing, and approving submitted building permit applications on, on the websites. Um, the bill requires that uh, local governments reduce permit fees. And this is the, the, the big to do as part of this bill. Uh, when building permit applications for single family and residential dwellings uh, are not approved within the prescribed time frame, and you must reduce those fees by 10% of the original permit fee amount uh, for each business day that the local government fails to meet the current statutory time period for reviewing and issuing the, perm uh, the, the permit. Um, now, the 10% reduction does not apply um, if the local government and the applicant agree to an extension of time, or if the government within the 30 day time period um, provides notice to the applicant uh, of deficiencies and specifically uh, states why the application fails to satisfy the building code um, or the government's uh, local ordinances and the applicant is also apprised that it has 10 business days after receiving the notice to remedy the deficiencies and return a revised application. If the um, applicant submits the application uh, information within the 10 business days, then the government entity must approve or deny the permit within 10 business days. If they do not meet the 10 day deadline, then they have to approve, they have to reduce their, um, their permit fees by 20% of the original amount of the fee and an additional 10% for each business day that the government fails to meet the deadline for approving the permit. So it is a very steep penalty uh, and one that, um, you know, people need to be aware of. Now, this bill um, is now on the special order calendar for um, for next Wednesday, and the Senate companion that uh, Representative Boyd has is uh, awaiting its next hearing in the Senate Governmental Oversight and uh, Accountability Committee. Uh, it's been there for a couple weeks. 
But, uh, you know, the House bill is moving, so I would expect the Senate bill to also move. All right. That's Yeah. Yeah, no, that one is steep. I think we're going to have to send Bob over there talk about the 10% penalties because Bob's a winner as long as we're winning too. Right? Bob, it's time for your one big thing. Speaking of winning, CS for CS for Senate Bill 50 passed the Senate floor. That's the online sales tax, the e-fairness bill. Um, The bill came out of the Senate 30 to 10. Um, It does expand the, uh, include the marketplace provisions that will now apply to our local option sales taxes. It's a significant uh, amount of additional revenue that will now be collected because of the lack of ability to collect it direct from the citizens in an effective way. So that bill passed the Senate again, and the House is scheduled to take it up in Commerce Committee next week. Um, We understand this to be the deal. Um, The money is going to, uh, the state money is going to offset the uh, that the current low level of the unemployment compensation trust fund to reduce unemployment or reemployment tax on employers. Um, but that is done after our local government distributions in 212-20. And so there's no impact to local governments from that money being used to reduce the, um, the business's liability with respect to the reemployment tax. All right. Thank you, Bob. Pretty good. Money coming in the way. Maybe that'll help pay for some of these fines because adding is people can't approve permits. So. Actually, will not happen. Those are all restricted uses. Uh, uh, only perhaps the small counties with the small county surtax could use them for that purpose. All other counties would have to use them as authorized under the current existing local option sales taxes. Bob, are you going to snitch on the counties? Are you going to snitch? I mean... If you don't tell, I won't tell. All right. I'm just kidding. We won't need to. Right. All right. I got a feeling I know what Jeff is going to talk about. Major action going down with dock stamps and a lot of money, affordable housing, water, and the stopping or addressing sea level rise. So, Jeff, the people want to hear your one big thing. Big thing it is. It's House Bill 5401 Documentary Stamp Tax tax Distributions, which was introduced this week as a proposed committee bill, ANR 2101, by Chair Josie Tomko in the House uh, Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee. It was uh, the start of budget week and the subcommittees this week. And this bill revises the distributions of the documentary stamp tax uh, that are deposited into the local government housing trust fund and state housing trust fund by two thirds. It reduces those distributions. What what this bill is setting up is instead of directing all of those funds to the documentary stamp taxes, is splitting it into three separate silos. So we have the state housing, affordable housing trust funds uh, mentioned already. And then we have the water protection and sustainability trust fund as the second group, which is those stormwater projects like septic to sewer. And the third being the resilient Florida trust fund. Um, We've previously talked about 
the Resilient Florida program, which is trying to fund county, uh, local government and county grants to fund resiliency planning and uh, allowing the state to pre uh, prepare for the effects of climate change by a comprehensive statewide flood vulnerability study. Um, but this bill is separating three major priorities of counties, uh, stormwater grants, resiliency planning grants, and affordable housing. Um, the funding for each of those silos will is projected to be $141 million. So th this issue uh, for House Bill 5401 kind of brings in each of uh, our issue areas here, probably brings the entire FAC team on board to uh, address this bill. Uh, during the committee, uh, Chair Tomko heard a lot of uh, pushback from the from the realtors and the housing coalition on the bill um, with a lot of questions coming from the committee members on whether or not the funds could be swept. Uh, part of the bill says that uh, funds may not be transferred to general revenue, but of course, future legislatures uh, cannot uh, be bound. Uh, so there's a lot of questions here uh, if a sweep could occur in the future. Um, Bob, do you, you want to add in? Yeah, what I'd suggest is, is instead of using the word sweep, when we talk about those funds, using the term redirect, because sweep is very one specific way that they do it, um, where they, they have authorization to sweep certain trust funds in the General Appropriation Act. The language would preclude that from happening, but that is not the only way they can get at the money. So um, if they use the word sweep, Sweep, they may not be able to do, but they can still put language in the implementing bill. They can still change the law. They can still redirect the use of the money. So I would suggest just when people talk about this, talk about the broader term redirect rather than sweep. And and the bill, House Bill 5401, uh, passed along party lines um, and uh, still needs to go through the, the budget process. Uh, the House did include those funds in their uh proposal, their subcommittee proposal. Um, so we'll be monitoring that to see where uh, this issue is going. All right. Thank you, Jeff. And just for our members out there, so they know that FAC as an organization, we're going to sort of sit back and analyze and watch because as Jeff said, all three of these issues are our priorities. And so, and it depends on what county you're in. We understand that because we preach one size is not fit all. And so we're going to sit back and take comment from all of our members and they are free to act freely, but we understand as an association that all three of these things are important. And so I think we're gonna watch, analyze, and sort of be a little bit slower to act and let's see what comes to fruition here. All right. Guys, good stuff. As you see, we're getting more serious and the major stuff is moving. You know, our job gets harder here on out, but we enjoy doing it. As we head out, I gotta tell a little story, a little commentary. I'm not gonna comment on legislation, but you guys know, and for the people out there, <clears throat> during session, I had to have my snacks because I'm sitting at my laptop, my computer, watching multiple TVs, and everybody knows I, I, I like gummy bears. So I have this big, gigantic bag of gummy bears. I sit next to my laptop on my desk. And you know, it's COVID times, you know. I wanna let you guys know what happened yesterday. I'm eating my gummy bears, I'm sitting there, I'm talking about bills, I'm sitting with staff. And one staff member in particular, 
who thinks he's a winner because he, he follows the Braves and stuff. He proceeds in the era of COVID in the middle of a pandemic to stick his bare hand in my bag of gummy bears. Man. But I'm so proud of myself because I did not immediately reach over and choke him out because you can't do that in the workplace. But now I have a contaminated bag of gummy bears going to waste. That's just, it's very disappointing. I don't know how I'm going to be able to focus next week. So, um, with that, since he believes in team, other team members, when you had a chance to talk to the unnamed staff person, you should counsel him, okay? So, with that, let's go around and then let's get that last word, impressions of the week. Jeff, what are your thoughts for this week overall? Well, it was sports week, so I think this week was mad madness. Nah, yes, that's good. It's pretty good. Sarah Henley. Blue light number one. It's your new nickname. Pensions are high. Kind of rebellious week. Yeah, I think it's going to get even better or worse, depending on how you look at it. Eddie Labrador. Movement. Lots of things moving. Yeah. So, and it's our job to either try to help a move or try to put up an obstacle. All right. Tonette Graham. Any words? You're disappointed by in that other team member that stuck his hand. I think you were a witness. When I he mean, listen, well, whoever ordered the snacks should have ordered individually wrapped COVID snacks, okay? I'm just saying. Uh-huh. That's all. Anyways, my word or theme for this week will have to be refinement. Okay, good word, good word. Last but not least, and he's not last because he was the person that violated the gummy bears. He's just, he just worked out that way. Bob McKee, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I felt differently until a minute ago, but now the week was unbearable. <laughs> I see what you did there. Still does not excuse the fact that gummy bears are contaminated. So um, it, it will be remedied. I was not aware of this gummy bear situation. Okay. Um, folks out there, just week four, you heard it. Man, it was tough. And it's, you heard the words intense movement tension rebellious is all happening and if you've been through session before the pace we're at we're probably about two or three weeks ahead of pace the stuff with some of the stuff we saw this week usually happens in week six or seven but we're here now um next week we anticipate the budget out for real we'll know who winners and losers are and that tension and attitudes will definitely shift again um but we'll be right here recapping week five next week and doing what we do for our folks and always please remember it is not the critic who counts, not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. And that's you guys out there, our commissioners and staff, and that's why we go to work every day for you here. And so until next week, we will talk to you later. Later.